Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Yeah. I feel bad actually congratulating you on Friday because people will be listening to this on a Thursday. And they probably <laughs> now have a tinge of jealousy. And I yeah. apologize for that, everyone. Mm. Well, retroactive happy Friday um, right. when you're listening to this. They will have had a Friday too. It's just yep. not simultaneous. Precisely. Um, I am pumped to talk to you today. Are you? What's yeah. Going on? I, I, well, I know what your week has been. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm excited to hear what you got going on. And I have some interest. I have some stuff too. So okay. uh, I think this will be an okay one. Awesome. Thur- thoroughly adequate. Good. Podcast episode. <laughs> That's what we go for. At, yeah. At the minimum. <laughs> yeah. So can you go first? I want to hear about your things. You got some yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. So, okay. Let's just like quickly remind the folks where we left off last time. I think I had talked about uh, promoting the manifesto and then I had set a goal for myself to basically have five to 10 validation calls with potential customers to hear people's stories and suss out whether I'm on the right track. And so I decided to put out basically a call for people to book time on my calendar. I was actually not quite sure what to expect on response rate for that because it to me it feels like a big ask to say like I want to talk to you for 20 minutes. And so I just decided to email the whole list of approximately 500 uh, subscribers who had signed up uh, from the manifesto. And pleasantly surprised that I got about 40 people uh, signing up for a spot. So Yeah, that's awesome. People are feeling the pain, I think. It's very encouraging. I made the decision to block only afternoons for these calls just because like mornings are my most productive time and I wanna if I wanna get anything done, that's probably the time where it's gonna happen anyways. So that was savvy of you. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 protecting your productive time. It's almost like you think about this sort of idea. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't want a whole bunch of interruptions during otherwise productive time. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Surprise, surprise that I'm thinking about that. Basically, I'm I'm one week into these calls and I have another week and a half to two weeks of calls to go. I think it comes out to like 12, 12 or 13 hours of, of conversations. So wow. how many have you done so far? Uh, 14 so far. Okay. And what have you and, learned? So, okay. A couple things. One is I was actually having a conversation with a friend uh, before I started these and she was like, so um, do you think... Do you think you might just hear a bunch of people echoing back your same sentiments that you've shared in the manifesto? And I was like, that's a that's a fair question. One way or another, I'm not sure if it's a bad thing, even if people do echo back. I mean, I, I'm assuming that a lot of people who signed up are listeners of this podcast, have read the post. I think it's in one way a good like natural uh, filter for only getting people through the door that are at least interested in what I've put out so far. I'm not discouraged by that, but I've definitely found that a lot of people's main pains that they fill with with Slack are definitely like in line with things that I mentioned in the manifesto. So in that sense, it's more just like confirmation that the flaws that I've pointed out in chat are, you know, resonating with folks. I mean, that's a point of learning, but not necessarily a lot of new information, I guess, from from that perspective. One of the most helpful parts of these calls is the question of like, so what interests you about about level or, you know, sort of the, the manifesto that I've put out? A lot of times people will have like a, you know, the one thing that really gets me about Slack is blah. And I think like that one line alone is one of the most helpful parts of these discussions because that's sort of getting at like the crux of the pain for them. And it, and it does vary from person to person. Mm. Um, what are some examples of that? 
Uh, let me see. Let me go through. Let me just scroll through my doc that I've been taking notes. Yeah. And did you did you have a standard set of questions that you asked people? I did. I, I'll just run through them real quick uh, right here. And it's kind of evolved over time, uh, as you might expect. So yes, that's good. right now, they stand at roughly uh, find out what your company is, what's your role in that company. And just as a data point, about six of the 14 so far are people who are in a leadership position where I feel like they would potentially be in a position to influence a, a buying decision heavily about what tool to use. That's about like, you know, roughly half are in that position and the other half are just like, you know, software developers on a team or something. Are the the team sizes generally on the larger side? They've tended actually to be anywhere from like small team of five to 10 up to 30 is sort of the range that I'm seeing. So the next question after what's your role, I'm asking how large is your team? Because I want to, you know, factor that into into the data as well. And then what tools are you currently using and when did you adopt them? And so I'm trying to gauge like, are you using Slack or some alternative? And um, most are using Slack. And then also like digging into like, what's the balance between chat and email in your org and project management. So, and I'm finding that most most people are saying like, eh, email only for like, you know, company-wide announcements or something. It's like 99% Slack. Some are trying to balance pushing conversations that are async into project management, whether it's GitHub issues or Jira or something like that. But most seem to express that it's difficult to police that. And most of the time, conversations end up like half in Slack, half in project management. And it just takes a lot of diligence to yeah. to transfer them over. That's actually a question that I, I, I occurred to me. is like, are you thinking of, I know you're still sort of exploring the space, but are you imagining level as a mostly a communication tool or is it partially also a part project management tool or is it both or it's interesting how the two sort of bleed together <laughs> like when people talk about i think basecamp as a prime example of like people think some people think of slack and basecamp as competitors i think of basecamp as predominantly a project management tool with some communication functionality built into it at different points level will not be a project management tool but i think it will need to either have some lightweight project management capabilities built into it and or integrate deeply with people's project management tools, whether it's just like being able to attach a conversation to a object that lives in a different system. Like, you know, you could maybe attach a GitHub issue directly to a conversation and maybe there's a, a two-way linking between the two so that, you know, level can be the place where you kind of hash stuff out, whether it's real time or async, and then that can be linked back to the original ticket or something like that. I think that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. So those are the kind of the questions I ask up front. And then from there, I've been taking it a bit more free form. And I kind of ask like, why are you interested in level? Uh, what problems do you want it to solve? You know, what's working well for you with Slack and what's not? And usually people have a lot to get off their chest. So <laughs> they just sort of so, sort of riff on like, yeah, it's just the notifications or some people it's like the it's impossible to find stuff and there's messages aren't joined together. So that's where people kind of kind of just riff on stuff those answers sound along the lines of the issues that you had identified or you felt using slack have people said things that have surprised you for that question i don't feel like i've been too surprised yet i've gotten some interesting ideas from like some folks who have sort of thought about like if i could solve if there's one thing i could solve about slack or one way i could change it and a few interesting ideas that i hadn't thought of have come out of that for sure and that's not that's not necessarily the point of this exercise is to try to get people to like solve this problem for me, but 
it is kind of nice. But if, why you not know, mine their good ideas? Yeah, exactly. And some of these folks are founders. Some of them are just like product-minded people who have, you know, sort of been thinking about this problem too as they evaluate their own teams. So I think that's probably been the the coolest part in addition to just hearing like people's number one pain, also just getting those occasional tidbits where it's like, huh, I, I hadn't even thought of that before. You know, one person talked to me and he was like, yeah, I've been listening to you talk about this on the podcast. And he was like, the one thing I didn't hear you talk about was being able to post rich information into it. And sort of like what I was just talking about, the linking of a GitHub issue, for example, to a conversation. For him, that was like a big deal that he feels like conversations in Slack often lack context. And so being able to attach context in that manner where it's like, instead of just seeing a link to a GitHub issue, if I can see a little card that previews what that issue is, that just provides so much more uh, richness to the discussion. And then like, depending on how that, how that freeform time goes, you know, some people end up answering my optional follow-up questions. And sometimes I ask them myself. So, you know, usually get into like, what integrations are you using? And how are you like, how is that working out for you? Most people have their source control, whether it's GitLab, GitHub, Bitbucket, whatever, most have that hooked up, most have CI hooked up. And I think uh, continuous integration is seems to be like the clear winner on usefulness for people like they like to see they like when it that it only notifies when a build fails or when a build transitions from failed to fixed. They feel like that's worth knowing um, in their flow, because if something if they get a failed build, they want to act on it quickly. So I think that's a good example of one that's more actionable. And then most of the time people kind of say like, yeah, the other ones are marginally useful. I usually mute them. They they're sort of noisy. So that's one piece that I'm really still trying to think through is like, what is the relationship between level and external applications? And what's the best way to represent that information? Because I feel like chat channels are not necessarily the best place for notifications to live. Right. But do you want to full-fledged discussion when the ci reports that the build is broken maybe maybe that should be a thread yeah maybe it's like you have a notification feed and with a simple click or keystroke you can like spin off a discussion with that notification attached to it or something like that so there's maybe there's your context and discussion now lives in a in a thread that goes in your inbox or whatever so Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah um, and then I sort of ask, dig into like specific usage of Slack. Like, are people using the threads feature in Slack? And most people are like, eh, that's not a very useful feature. We sometimes use them. It's hard to like institute using those consistently, which is sort of what I suspected, but good to hear. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Good to confirm that at least. That um, feature did not really cause threaded discussion to happen. Right. Anywhere yeah. I've been personally. Yeah, and that's been my experience too. So I was like, I don't know. I just want to make sure that maybe maybe others out there are like, oh no, it's been working great, and threads are solved. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. No, I don't think that's the case. No, but I'm I'm glad you're checking. Yeah, yeah. And also asking about search. The pretty broad consensus is that search just is pretty broken in Slack. Like partially, it sounds like just an issue with the way they index things, and the other part is just like. Messages are not linked together, so it's inherently difficult to tease out conversations because you're you're just trying to word match and it it's pointing you to a cursor at a point in the infinite timeline, but you know, the conversation still could be dispersed in in that timeline. So it's just it's difficult to find stuff. So that's, totally. Right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yep. 
And then from there, depending on if the person is a decision maker or not, I sort of customize this question <laughs> to the to the audience. So if they're a decision maker, I kind of ask, like, how would you gauge your willingness to switch to a separate tool? Do you feel like your organization is heavily entrenched and it would be a the barrier would be high to actually trying something out new? Or do you feel like you're pretty open to to trying something? Seems like the biggest issue is not surprisingly is going to be the companies that tend to keep a lot of knowledge stored in their Slack workspace and search it often are going to feel the pain of not having that archive if they were to switch to a different tool. So I think it's going to be a much harder sell to switch those types of folks. Others have said, we don't really trust Slack to be the the store of, of like valuable information for the long term anyways. So you know, losing that history wouldn't be that big of a deal and we'd be open to, to trying something new. I, I wonder if you would see people who would um, use both for a little while. I, I sort of started asking along those lines, like, like, how would you see the trajectory go for your organization? And several, several folks have said, like, well, I could see trying it just on the engineering team. And, you know, if we're kicking off a new project, maybe we just try it for that project where any discussions around this specific thing we're undertaking we'll do in this tool and then basically run a pilot program with it and they're like to be honest several people noted that that's exactly how their slack adoption happened like the engineers started out using it and then gradually usually the last ones to adopt it in the org are like the upper management and the ceo and that and stuff like that so because I'm imagining Mackie adopting this, and we use Slack right now. We don't really have a great place to post asynchronous, long-form discussion-type things. And I'm like feeling that pain, actually. Like I wanted to write up a thing the other day, and I was like, where do I even put this? I guess I'd make an issue for it, but it's not really an issue. And so I could imagine being like, all right, long-form async stuff happens over in level for a while. And if you need rapid response, use Slack for a bit, because we know that works as of today. But then if you are presenting a much more compelling experience, it's like, all right, well, let's just use Slack less and less. Yeah. And that's kind of the hope. Like, I think it's going to be on me to sort of sell it in that way and and say, like, I think I can do a lot with messaging on that where it's like, just, you know, try this out for, you know, you don't have to ditch Slack wholesale yet, just yet. You can just try this out um, for a project or two or just try it on your team or maybe call it like start a pilot instead of like a trial or something. I don't know, like use wording that indicates that like this is not a big long term commitment, just the barriers low, get in, try it and prove it for yourself that it works and don't don't take my word for it, basically. And then uh, near the end, I ask basically, are they currently paying for their tool Slack most of the time? I would say I think only one person I talk to is not paying for Slack. So that sort of indicates to me that like paying for a tool would not be a big deal. And then I ask folks like, are they, which I, pr- I probably don't even need to ask this question because it's been a, a unanimous yes. But <laughs> I basically ask like, are you interested in chatting with me again once I have some like concrete mocks and flows to show you? And everyone is has been like, oh, yeah, happy to help anytime. Reach out. If you want to just riff on ideas, you could talk to me like. These are the these are my early fans of the of the movement. So yeah, plus this this is the exciting phase before any of the hard stuff actually happens. Right, <laughs> exactly. There's nothing easier than commenting on someone else's mocks and telling them how it should be better. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Love it. So so how are you feeling based on those conversations? Uh, overall encouraged. Yeah. Again, the purpose of these is to just hear people out, hear their stories, and 
either gain confidence that I'm on the right track or or call into question whether this is actually going to be adopted. And I think at this point, I have no reason to believe that I'm not well positioned to solve real pain points in the market. If I had to like be at all like critical or skeptical, like the one the one thing I might point out is that several people I talked to I that were not in a leadership position that were just developers on a team expressed that, you know, they read the manifesto, they found it to be interesting. And I asked them, you know, have you has this come up in your company at all? Like have you heard your coworkers expressing problems with Slack? And several people in that camp said, like, no, I haven't no one really brings it up. It's not, you know, it hasn't really come up. And I think these people tended to be on smaller teams, so I'm not super surprised by that, you know, but it's still like it would be nice if I heard that, like, yeah, we talk about this all the time. How Slack is just really distracting all of us. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I had that thought as you were talking about the problems people see with Slack. I was like, yeah, it's like every tool has certain problems. That's sort of one question mark is like, are you sure that the problems that Slack presents out are compellingly bad enough? People get chat. It's kind of straightforward. It's easy. It appeals in a certain immediacy way and like you get answers fast and like the problems are slightly more subtle, I think, than in your face. And so it's like, oh, yeah, we used to send a lot of email and that was annoying. And now we just chat and it's great because things happen faster and I can just read all these channels. And it's like, yeah, kind of. I think it holds true that at small scale, Slack is pretty like manageable. Like when you're just when you're just a small team, even if you're even if you're using you know, quote unquote, bad Slack etiquette, like it's still maybe not super painful. But I talked to like a few of the like CTOs or co-founders of, of smaller teams that I talked to seem to recognize that like, we're not feeling a lot of pain right now, but I'm I can see where this is headed. And it's not looking good. And, you know, one of them was in a venture backed company. And he's like, we're about to really start aggressively scaling the team. And we've just raised another round. And I'm concerned. Like the number one thing we're trying to combat is friction in our communication processes. And so, so far we've, we've kept the team relatively small and we've used Slack quite a bit, but I can see where this is not going to scale. And so some folks are like, we're small, we're not feeling a lot of pain, but uh, we want to get out ahead of the problem. I think it's convincing. It's like part of the messaging is like um, not to use scare tactics or anything, but it's like convincing the smaller teams that like you may not be feeling the pain now, but this is if your company is in a position to grow at all, like you may want to get out ahead of this problem. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting sales process. It sounds like because if you're small, you probably don't feel enough pain to take on the pain of switching, and if you're big, you have more inertia and more people to switch. And maybe a slightly higher tolerance for annoying solutions to things. It seems like, based on my experience, larger organizations just end up using crappier tools, it feels like. I guess that's one concern. Maybe it's like you end up in this kind of like stranded middle where it's like the the pains happen later, but they happen once you're, it's hard to switch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's some, I think it's definitely something for me to be like thinking about in this whole process is how can I make my messaging speak to that? And, and hopefully overcome that. And how can I make the onboarding speak to that and the language I use around pilot program versus trial versus whatever is going to resonate. And yeah, hmm. that's where the cool. hard part is. Yeah, sure. These conversations you're having will help you with that positioning so much. Like you're, you're going to get a sense of where this thing is clicking and, and for who. Next up is more, more of these. 
more of these. So two, two and a half weeks more of, <laughs> of, of calls. Also, like in, in parallel with this, I am uh, zeroing in on some branding stuff. I've been working with Steve and feeling pretty good about that. So I've thought about either doing like a sitting in front of a camera and just talking this stuff out or composing a blog post. But I basically want to kick off my building level series. And I talked about this last time where I've been like journaling big milestones that have happened. And I think I just want to dump all that into a post at least to start and share numbers like I've been doing on here. You know, how many signups did I gather? How many calls? How have they been going? Share my whole thought process as part of that and keep the list warm. So far, like my the two emails I've sent uh, have had like an 80% open rate. So people are still hyper engaged and I'd like to keep that. Have you done any mocking stuff, sketching stuff, any of that? I have begun to to do that. Yeah, I've been doing a lot in my notebook and I've started to do it in sketch. So a little bit more high fidelity. I don't think it has to go straight to high fidelity, but I like to I've been dropping in like some of the brand stuff that Steve's been working on and and just playing around with colors and placement and trying to take inspiration from tools actually that that have extremely minimalist UIs. I'm I'm a big fan of just minimalist interfaces in general and I think a lot of the tools I've looked at whether it's Slack or competitors are super packed with a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. So it's it's a fun exercise for me to play around with UI and, and figure out how much I can possibly strip away to make this a very like peaceful experience, both visually and uh, the way the information is organized. So having fun with that. Yeah, you've done a handful of calls and you're going to do more and more. I imagine they're going to start to kind of run together. Like your last 10 calls will probably not be as valuable as the first 10. I wonder if it's possible to like have some new thing that you can do or show or ask as these calls go on. Yeah, I may reach the critical mass where it's like, I've, I think I've got enough information to go off of. And maybe I could even start showing some mocks or something to those to those later calls. And then when those go well, start asking for money. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I do want to circle back on that real quick because we, we talked about it and I debated. I did debate in my head and I talked to Rob a little bit about it, too, asking for prepayment and um, both of our initial reactions was like, it feels early, but but maybe that's not logical. Like, what is there to lose by asking for prepayment? So I, I debated it. I don't I didn't th- feel like it was a totally like foregone conclusion, which way it should go. My factors that I considered were like, I know I'm talking to a mix of different people. Only part of them are going to be decision makers. So it only makes sense to to ask this of the decision makers, and not just like random software developer on a team. It would be more compelling to ask this question when it's alongside something visual to to display like this is what the product's going to look like. And I also felt like I could get good enough information asking the questions of like, are you currently paying for Slack and willingness to switch? Like diving into those questions, I feel like gives me a lot of the information that I would get by asking for money, at least on this round of calls. So I think I, I think I probably still will do at least consider prepayments, but probably on the second round of calls where I'm actually showing concrete stuff. I just imagine like the last half of these calls, you're like, yeah, I I have successfully enumerated some pains in Slack. People share these pains. The risk that I have made up a problem that does not exist is low now. But then it's like my next risk is, do people actually really want to switch? Are they really interested enough? Is this solution the one that will solve these pains in their minds? Or is there some blocking thing that would prevent them from actually trying it? Like that's the next thing to sort of de-risk or to prove to yourself or validate. Totally. Totally. Well, that's fun. This is yeah. this is great to listen to. This is good radio. 
I good. Think. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. What's been happening in your land? Oh man, I am all kinds of stuff. Um, I am slinging Haskell a little bit. That's been cool. I'm reading a book. Actually, I have, I have a book recommendation. I'm gonna show it to you. It's good. actually is that flipped? Is this mirrored in your view? It is not. No. Oh, that's funny. Am I, huh? Okay. Anyway, uh, this book is called Programming in Haskell by Graham Hutton, and I really am digging it. It's like the best Haskell book I've read yet. Uh, it's kind of like K and R for C. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the K and R book? It's like that's like the Bible of C, right? Like the, yeah, and it's sort of famously terse. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. like a, it's a small approachable guide to C, and this this feels like the same thing where it's like it's not crazy super in depth, but it, it is like it's terse and to the point, but explained quite well. Lots of examples, lots of exercises. So I'm enjoying that. I just had my first bit of Haskell go into production, which is pretty cool. Still, like way too early to really form opinions. There's just I I still feel like a total uh, amateur. I am a total amateur. I won't comment on Haskell quite yet. It's cool being a beginner again. Like it's fun to just be like I don't know anything. I can I'm I've, I'm just full of questions. I have way more questions than thoughts. So it's interesting to be in that mindset after working in Ruby for so long and having so much experience there. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. In a sense, we both have gotten back into a phase where we're learning a lot every day, and there's something really fulfilling about that. I I mm-hmm. found. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's also nice to just be like learning this is part of my job right now. And so if I spend time working on a Haskell exercise to improve my understanding of monads, then like that's, that's work. I'm that's, I I can get paid for that. That's okay. Yeah. And that's, that's always fun. Yeah. That's cool. What does the deployment process look like for, for your Haskell code? Um, We are using Ansible to deploy stuff. There's a cookbook or something. I'm, I'm not very familiar with this part of the world, and I hope to never be. <laughs> it's just not my <laughs> cup of tea. Um, yeah. But as far as I understand, there's some Ansible cookbook thing that has a series of tasks that get run on deployment. And one of the things it does is compile the, the Haskell code that outputs binaries that get linked in a specific place, and then they get called later. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we used Ansible at Drip, but I was like, similarly, like I only made very low-risk contributions to that repository and let mm-hmm. let the ops people really tend to that (laughs) yeah it seems i should double check this before i say it. i'm gonna say it anyway and we'll see i believe we are hiring a devops person i think that is going to be our next hire i'm actually starting to work on a job description and i will be talking about that more here because i would love to find someone great our devops situation is not awesome and could be better and we're looking to find someone good who has strong opinions and will come in and be like this is terrible i will fix it kind of thing so i'm glad that we're going to be able to spend that money and, and get that improved but more on that soon I, I think that is the plan but i will double check and confirm and then if so then i would love to hear from our listeners so if you know people that are awesome very cool yeah i have a question for you yeah shoot are we in a SaaS renaissance hmm elaborate i feel like i see more and more people and developers starting SaaS companies and it feels like the model is no longer in question. In fact, it's been thoroughly proved out. There appears to be very strong demand for buying SaaS companies. I know someone that sold a SaaS company not too long ago. I'm just like kind of wondering, like, is there, is there a broader trend here of people being like, you know what? The cost of getting into SaaS has gone down a lot. There are lots more tools. There's lots more support for it. There's lots of more knowledge being uh, given away around this. And so I feel like more and more developers, um, even new ones, are taking a shot at it. Hmm. 
like if you think back to early days of SaaS, we're talking like when Basecamp started 2004 and like Salesforce, I'm not sure when they started out early 2000s. Back then, the model was revolutionary. A lot of companies were like not, they were still mostly buying on-prem. And it, this was like a model that took some convincing to get people to to buy into. And if you look at those companies that were around back then that have made it to now, they're arguably some of the most valuable SaaS companies in the world, right? Fast forward to, to now, it's like, you know, you go on Product Hunt or wherever and you see a new, you know, a handful of new SaaS products launching every week perhaps every day. Yeah, the model's been true and out. I think companies are definitely more open than ever to adopting SaaS and almost nothing else for all their tooling. But I think that also makes it challenging to launch a SaaS these days because there's so much noise and there's so many people trying to do it. And the, the opportunities for capturing value, like you think about back in the Basecamp days, almost almost nothing had been SaaSified. So there was all these different products besides project management that we're still like mostly on-prem. You think like accounting software and just other back office stuff. And so there were like opportunities back then for companies to be like the first in the space to offer the SaaS version of this formerly on-prem software. And now it's like most of that has been, most of the low-hanging fruit's been captured. So I think that's the challenge for us in these days, right? I find myself wondering like, am I noticing a broad trend? And if so, does that mean it's um, it's late? Like, yes, you're right. Everyone is rushing into SaaS, like cryptocurrency kind of thing. But that doesn't mean that this is like the future. It means like it's about to be the past. And like the next thing is something else. It's the next version of this. I suspect that there's going to be something new, some new model that is going to provide outsized benefits to the companies that choose to adopt it now before anyone else does. Like, I think there's always room to be early. And definitely, like, if you're just launching a a normal SaaS in 2018, like you're not, you're not early. You're maybe like still on, on the wave of momentum that has been going on for the last 15 years, but no longer early. That's where I feel like there's actually some, I don't know, some, some opportunities for level to, it's going to be SaaS, but one of the areas where I can be a bit different is possibly developing this platform with an open source core and definitely wouldn't be the first to do that. You know, there's there's GitLab and Discourse, two of the big ones that come to mind. You know, arguably, like, open platforms have a, have a lot of benefits. Um, transparency, people can add on to them, and the community can participate. Perhaps that's, you know, part of the, the next wave. I don't know. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, hmm. Yeah. Thinking about it as kind of like, there's a, a bit of a SaaS gold rush right now. It makes me ask myself, like, what what will these people need? Like, what are you what are you about to need tooling wise? Like, what kind of shovels and picks and things are you going to not want to build, but that you that you would rather buy? And is there an interesting opportunity in there? Yeah, you look at like what Stripe is doing uh, with Atlas and like their whole growing suite of tooling around like we're going to make it dead simple for you to spin up a Delaware C corp and get a bank account and get your Stripe account, start charging cards on day one. Like they're definitely thinking in that direction. I think on everybody wants to start a SaaS these days. So how can we make that easier? Right. And then what are the next things like user accounts, teams, subscriptions, credit card management, things like that. Like there are, there are things that are a little further down that line that I think could be really interesting. Yeah. If you think about it, like anyone who's launching SaaS is still like, we're all building, rebuilding a lot of the same like building blocks over and over again. Totally. Yeah, I was talking to my friend Andrew Culver, and he has started a product called Bullet Train, uh, 
uh, which is kind of like uh, a SaaS in a box where it's you, you clone this thing and you're already on your way with a lot of that stuff pre-built. That's a cool idea. I actually made a thing like that myself in the past. He said that he recently sold one customer on a hosted version of it. So it's like the, basically there's a authentication token more or less gets created on his side and then transferred over to the, their like their real app kind of thing. But the user management and team management and invites and credit card changes and billing and all that stuff happen on his server. And I was like, that is interesting. So I built a thing like this called a hacker engine years ago and sold you know a handful of copies. But we actually had a bunch of people be like, can you host this for me? And at the time, we were like, no, 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 we don't want to get involved in hosting. Like, you crazy? This is... I'm here to sell code. Uh, and so we sort of just ignored that. I have been in the position of rebuilding the same SaaS management stuff a bunch of times. And I think it's a hard problem to provide that to someone else. Like, you will not be able to compete with quality and polish and uh, just general awesomeness as a bespoke solution. The challenge is, like, how close can you get? And is it good enough? But I think it's a really interesting proposition. Like if if there is a SaaS renaissance and everyone needs the same 20 features, can you build a hosted version of those features that is still really good, that gets them started, and that they can transition off easily later if they want to? I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. It's a hard sell for like probably like engineering-centric organizations that have a, a healthy sense of like not built here syndrome, <laughs> you know, where they just like want to... Like I'm thinking about myself, would I... Would I want to outsource a large chunk of the core, I guess, non-essential parts of the product to someone else? I think in theory, yes. But in practice, it's like I still, when I imagine what does this look like, I imagine a, a platform that basically still like has a bulk of the, I guess, core logic living inside of the code base. Even though like if you think about it, there's there's not much justification for that. We should not be rebuilding the same stuff over and over again. But it would be hard to do it better than someone that's doing it all the time for a business, or at least in terms of certain kinds of quality. But then like in terms of integrating it with your app to make it look as good or to feel as natural or when customizations are required to make those feel good. That's the big question mark to me. Yeah, that's the unknown. That's the risky part. That's where like if you nail it right, it could really work. But otherwise, it could be a big like roadblock, I guess. If I click like user settings in level and it's this beautiful minimalist interface where you've considered every pixel and Steve has done his magic uh, and then it goes to like uh, level.benzapp.com and it's not as good. It's like, yeah, who likes this? Like, why is, I mean, I don't know. That would be difficult to convince people of, I think. Weren't you talking before about some some kind of like SaaS around pricing or like, um, mm-hmm. I don't like know, pricing like page, pricing pages as, as, as a, a service, service or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. And I remember thinking thinking through this problem of like, what are the right boundaries for this? Like, would it is it an iframe you put on your thing, but you can still skin it to look like to look good, or is it like a really nice API sort of the Stripe approach where like people can just you know developers can just have a really easy time hosting a large part of it on their own, but it interacts with the API in in just the right way, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. I think those are all like subtle hard problems, but if you could solve them or like close to solve them, it could be really compelling. Yeah, I agree. Because like, yeah, that the marketing site, pricing page, sign up flow thing, user management thing, invitations, affiliate programs. It's just there's a lot of things that everyone is just going to build over and over. And probably not quite as well as you could if you focus on it. Yeah, if you think about it, like, I guess Shopify is one example of a company that has managed to 
do this well, I feel like. And their checkout page doesn't scream like Shopify necessarily. It just feels very nice and Amazon-like. And every company that I've seen at least manages to like at least get enough of their brand infused in it where it still feels like you're buying from that company and not like, oh, I've just hopped over to the Shopify checkout page. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it might be one of those things where it's like, yeah, we have to, for every client, you have to hire a designer or like have your designer basically reskin things to make it look really, really close to the same or something. But then it's like, well, if you do that, then I don't know. Like if you, if you can be somebody's infrastructure in, at that level, then that sounds like a long-term relationship in the making. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Think of the switching costs on that. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But I also then, I, like, like you said, like I picture myself spinning up a new SaaS app and I'm like, do I really want to outsource like these things? What, am I really comfortable giving up that control and like leaning on a platform and then, and, and then being locked in myself? It's like, it doesn't sound great. I know intellectually that this would probably let me go faster and there'll be less code to maintain, but the perfectionist, purist, do it myself, ignore the long-term pain irrational side of me is like yeah but like i can i know i can hack together the stripe form in a couple hours and i'll have to come back to it 50 times over the next couple years but whatever like that's later (laughs) yeah and i don't know i think things have progressed towards this direction that we're talking about overall people have outsourced more to stripe than probably they ever have any other payment platform in the past before like this wave of Stripe and, and some of their similar competitors came about. And like at a certain point, it just, the solution was just so elegant and just so drop in easy that we're, we just kind of sort of collectively agreed like, yeah, we're going to let Stripe handle a lot of us outsource all subscription management to Stripe now, you know? And so maybe we'll get there. It's a timing play, probably, of like, when is the market, when are developers ready to actually accept that we don't need to rebuild all this stuff? It's <laughs> mm, a good question. Yeah. I mean, Stripe was such a nice improvement over what was there. I think you have to be there. You have to be able to be like, no, look, it's actually better. Like, yeah, you're, you're seeding control, but look how much easier it has gotten. Look at the abstractions that are built now that you don't need to think about. That's cool. I mean, that, that's, that's when it gets good, I think, or when yeah. it gets feasible. I agree. Mm. Cool. Mm. Interesting stuff. Well, thanks. Um, all right, I got one more thing, and then okay. we should wrap it up. Um, right. I'm on. I just got turned on to a video series that is really great. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's called Adam Savage's One Day Builds. Hmm. Okay. Um, so Adam Savage of former MythBusters fame, mm-hmm. uh, and he has these things called One Day Builds, where he's like, "Today I'm going to build X." And it's like a, a fancy light for my workbench, a custom tape dispenser, uh, Excalibur sword. It's all over the place. And he just has this wonderful energy and it's like fun to watch someone make something. And it's like all like, like making with your hands and chisels and files and screws and stuff. And it's like a nice change from the things I build. Uh, But it's fun to watch someone who's really excited about it and like really awesome at it. So cool. Check it out. I will check that out. I also uh, recommend one other YouTube series too, that probably a lot of folks have heard about, but the folks at Basecamp have started, started putting out behind the scenes, where the sausage is made type of videos. So Jason Free is spearing up like uh, design decisions videos where they talk about like, this is a desi- how we do design reviews and this is how we think about redesigning certain interfaces. And uh, DHH has been doing them on uh, specifically how they write software. So I found them to be pretty interesting. So is this the like rework and on writing software well? Are these like 
yes if i, if I, I go to their so. channel and subscribe to that is that am i getting what you're talking about yeah i think they're calling the channel getting real but i'm not sure what the url is for that gotcha yeah, yeah. i think you're right it's getting real but yeah i found it cool well thanks yeah for the recommendation mm-hmm. all right dude you want to wrap it up yep let's wrap it cool art of product podcast.com you got it yes yeah. i know our <laughs> url excellent <laughs> have a good week i'll talk to you next time all right sounds good see ya later i don't think i have any post lewd i don't think so either i got uh, it's funny i got um feedback from oh. one person are you still recording i am are you okay ready? i do actually have a post lewd i thought i realized but go ahead oh, okay um well, I just got an email from one listener um, in response to the manifesto stuff. And he was like, by the way, love the podcast, love the postludes. And I'm glad you guys don't do it every time. He was like, keep doing that. Like, keep people surprised. Mm. It makes it funner. So mm, I like that. That's good. Yeah. Let's let's do that. That sounds good. Like, why stri- like why make it happen? That's not that's not the point. Right. Yeah. So that's to be reg- our regular segment. So yeah. this is I actually meant to do this during the show. But let's do it now because I honestly want your opinion. OK. Um, I don't. Uh, so I had a funny experience where. <laughs> <clears throat> someone tweeted uh being like can't wait to see go to microconf starter look at all these great speakers and included my name in the list mm-hmm. and i was like i didn't get asked to speak at microconf starter and so really? i went to the page and there was my face and i was like that's weird and so i emailed rob and was like hi am i speaking at starter and he was like oh i think a miscommunication happened and like that might be left over from last year or like we said we were gonna ask you and then forgot or something but do you want to speak at microconf starter? <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Um, so uh, I responded. I actually said, let me think about it for a couple of days because I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, so like first thing, like I haven't been planning for it. Right. And it would be in uh, a month, I guess. So yeah. um, a little bit of time pressure there. But also like, but kind of more importantly, I don't know that I have a good talk in me right now. Like nothing mm. jumped to mind immediately. Like, yeah, I did mm-hmm. just spend like nine months doing stuff. But um, it's nothing has coalesced into like a like a coherent talk in my mm. mind. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And and last time it was a, it was a bitch to get a talk together <laughs> that I was happy with. Like it took so that. many tries. And, and yet and yet I've heard that it was like very highly rated and one of the favorite talks of the, of the conference. It, it, right? Well, I, it, it turned out well at the end. Yeah, but I, I really felt down to the wire like this might suck and it was it was a lot of stress. Yeah. Um, and so um, I imagine I could make a pretty good talk, uh, but I, I don't know if I could make a really good talk hmm. and I have high standards for my own talks and like I would if, if I have a list of talks that I've given at microconf and it's one talk long and that talk is awesome. I would prefer that to two talks long and one talk is eh, and one yeah. talk is awesome. Yeah. So I honestly don't know what to do. Hmm. Also, I feel a little bit like disingenuous almost where it's like, yeah, I'm, I, I could talk for 30 minutes about stuff I did, but I stopped doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so it's like, I don't know. I got a day job. I have a normal human job now. So like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like you, I feel like you almost have a compelling story to share about like um, knowing knowing thyself and totally, figuring yeah. out what the best path is. And but I mean, the the, the punchline may very well be like you should not start a startup, which seems sort of subversive for microconf, but <laughs> right, at the same time, bit. which I kind of like, time, yeah, <laughs> I mean, at the same time, it's like, um, there is some wisdom in that. Like there's a lot of wisdom in that and people like, I guess, figuring out what they're optimizing for, um, right. which you have done and yep. 
if someone if it helps someone like get clarity on that earlier on i still think it's valuable you know Um, yeah so that was kind of i think so rob that rob mentioned that he was like i think even if you just talked about what you did and what you thought was good and what was not as good it would be a useful thing yeah but i think i and and so that that to me is maybe a recipe for like not awesome but if i had a point and it was kind of like know thyself and this is what matters and this is um here's how to prioritize or things like that i think that could that could be useful i do too um and i think i mean there's some yeah like i'm picturing like a talk title for this and it could be something like you know why i why i went back to a day job or something you know like yeah totally um, no one will expect that and they'll be intrigued and um the ant the 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 punchline is not like you should not do a startup. It's just that like totally. you shouldn't necessarily do a startup. And right, and yeah, and my takeaway wasn't even like I shouldn't have done a startup or I won't do a startup later or any of that stuff. It was just like this combination of variables was not good for me. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe there is something there. Hmm. I think there is. I mean, I totally hear you on like um, you know, you got to manage like how stressful is it going to be to pull this together? Do you feel like you can? Like, are you too time constrained? Like, I know there's a lot of factors, but I do, I do feel confident that you could pull together a good talk if you, hmm. if you want to. Thanks. So. Um, yeah, it's like sequel syndrome. It's like you put out a really good movie, and everyone's like, "You gotta make a sequel." And you're like, "Ah, but can I capture that same, that same lightning?" Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm leaning towards it now. Okay. Cool. I was leaning away from it before, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out in the next couple of days. Cool. I think I'll actually be hanging around for starter this year too. Um, cool. Nice. So yeah, it'll be fun to hang out. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be a lot of target audience for you there. Yeah. And I like bought a growth ticket, but then realized like, I think there's going to be a lot of like value in me just sort of hanging around the starter crowd too. Cause that's, that's the phase I'm back into. So totally. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So you're going to be there. So well, Adam's going to be there too. Cause he's giving a talk. Should All be right. Fun. All right. All right. That's sounding better. <laughs> cool. I'm going to think about it. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for your thoughts. Yeah, you bet. All right. Let's wrap it up. This is a long one. Yeah, I know. All righty. Okay, Have a good I'm one. Officially hitting stop on the recording. Boom. Same. Stopping now. <laughs>